it's been interesting my feelings as an individual and Amreta as an individual and recognizing that I need to respect her autonomy in all ways and her bodily autonomy and also maybe there are times when I'm allowed to have an opinion about something but yeah to be careful about it and I think that's a hallmark of all healthy relationships is being aware of your partner or, you know, in this case, your platonic partner, but we'll use partner mm-hmm. as an autonomous being who has their own needs. And also that the partnership will not benefit from you subverting all of your own needs. Welcome to Don't Think Twice. Vijay and Stevens is the writing and producing duo of Amrita Vijay and Andrew Stevens. Best friends, business partners, creative partners, and now soon to be co-parents. This week, we talk about the actual pregnancy, stumbling through the twin labyrinths of our feelings and of the healthcare system. Our host and friend, Marina Weiss, talks us through caregiving for each other, and we all rage against the healthcare machine together. Just for context, in case this becomes relevant, this is the one time we tried eating dinner before doing the recording. <laughs> well, in any aberrations that occur here, probably due to I the effects of dinner. I feel that that is relevant, actually. <laughs> and today we'll be talking about the actual pregnancy and your experiences navigating medical care around pregnancy. So, Amrita, why don't you start? How has the process been for and between you? In general, the pregnancy has been a very smooth one for me. And I would say like health wise, I haven't had a lot of um, major discomfort, major complications. Uh, So I feel very lucky in that regard. And how did you decide when to tell people how to tell people what to tell people? um, Well, I was very cautious about when to tell people. And uh, the first people to know were really uh, our families. But we knew, some of your friends knew before your parents knew. Well, to set the timeline, we, we got, we tried in August. Then we had the pregnancy tests. Then went back to the fertility clinic to confirm the test with a blood result. And at some time in there is when I told my mom, um, so very early. Yeah, because it's my mom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and uh, so Monday. she was she was ex- she was happy and excited. She said, "This is great." I mean, that's sort of like the beginning and the end of it, you know. And um, because when we had the miscarriage, I told her that happened, and I think she reached out to you. She did. Uh, my mom and Amrita have an independent relationship, and so. Meaning that my mom doesn't feel the need to, if she's going to text Amrita about something, she doesn't include me. It's not a three-way text exchange. It's mm-hmm. really it's really just between my mom and Amrita um, because my mom has a lot of feelings about you know, <laughs> women-related things and doesn't feel like it's it's my business, you know, what she wants to say to Amrita, which mm-hmm. I... I uh, you like. Frankly, I like <laughs> a lot. Like it, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I told my mom, really early and then from there to your point marina there were some friends um who found out along the way before we told amrita's parents particularly because we wanted to tell them in person yes um and that was pretty close to the 
that like delineation of first trimester right around my birthday actually so I went home to tell my parents in person Andrew came with me uh, on that trip and um, ended up having to disclose to my parents because of exactly something that Andrew predicted to the moment, which was like, he's like, we're going to walk in the door and then your dad's going to hand us like a martini and then you're going to have to say something. And that's exactly what happened as I walked in the door, we were offered a cocktail and I was like, well, it's not customary for me to be able to take this due to being pregnant. And that was like the first thing out of my mouth when we walked in the door to my parents. Did your parents know that you were trying? No. That we were trying? No, my sister did though. Yes, your sister knew. So everything was a surprise when they found out yes, you were pregnant. that's correct. So uh, in that uh, moment, they found out that you were both trying. That's you right. You even had a notion that you wanted. Well, it wasn't a total surprise that they knew about our embryo freezing. That's right. But they didn't know that, that like this was the this was the moment. It wasn't that we were trying to, to hide anything, but, you know, having not been read in that much on what the process was it was just going to be much better to sit down and and not only to answer questions but to make it more clear that not only the questions they were going to have in the moment but the questions that were going to come up come up from then until birth until after for the you know the rest of their life maybe were good and fine to ask and that they shouldn't be afraid to ask something for fear that they would offend or they would say the wrong thing because um, we, we just didn't want them to feel, you know, which is also a commitment that we should, we have made about not only her parents, but uh, my, my family too, um, or even friends or just people in the world that like, if they're going to ask a question, we're not going to be offended that someone has asked a question. Right. Totally. And also I think that being present with them, having the both of you be present is also reassuring in itself, right? Like that if it were Amrita going by herself to say like, I'm making this decision, they wouldn't have had the reassurance that you were going to be there as a co-parenting partner and having you come to break this news together in person feels like it's just an act that is itself reassuring about the degree to which you're involved in this you're thinking about it you're communicating about it and, and the degree to which we're committed to doing this together yeah so have there been folks who have offered doubts around that or you know, um, well-intentioned but unsolicited well advice? i think you know in, in terms of our friends i don't think anyone has expressed particularly doubt um actually we've had a lot of just positive nothing but positive feedback. But um, I think it, in general, when someone finds out that you're pregnant, you are offered a lot of un unsolicited advice about everything. Usually you don't hear from the people where everything was great. <laughs> you hear from people who had um, a bad experience or, you know, and that, that can be sort of difficult to hear. So that was a, that was a challenge for me because um, I want people to feel like they can share what their experiences were and I'm happy to hear it. But uh, it does add a lot of like noise and what about you, Andrew? Have you been receiving unsolicited yeah. advice? Uh, in contrast, I have not <laughs> <laughs> been receiving any advice. But no, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't gotten. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I haven't gotten the stories of how hard or the birth might be or what happens in the, you know, the shell shock that follows. None, none of that. And there seems to be much more of this, of this sharing between 
between women who've had this experience than there is about about Men fathers or future father or you know a father to a future father any sort of conversation about this was my experience, what the experience or this was, was this was what was this transformative this did yeah. or whatever personality wise Amrita and I are very different in that I don't mind the hearing um, about any of this I don't take it in and it doesn't add to, to any sense of anxiety or worry about what can happen but I'm also not the person who will actually have to go through labor right. there's a fundamental asymmetry in terms of how physically, you know, how much skin you have in the game, each of you, physically. Literally. Right? And Andrew, like, I know you mm-hmm. care and you're going to be there, et cetera, but it's a very different level of Entirely. Know, physical yes. investment. Andrew, like, if you could have had a baby by yourself, like, if you could have just gotten pregnant, mm-hmm. would you have done that? Yes. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it any earlier, mm-hmm. but I would do it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think my answer would be no. I mean, no, my answer would be no. Yeah. I would not do this alone. Well, and it's like the other day, I said something in jest about, oh, you know, we made a mistake. We've made a big mistake. <laughs> and then you said, you laughed, and then you're like, oh, but have you ever thought that? During this process, have you ever thought, are we making a mistake? And I said, no, I've never once thought. I didn't probe in that moment whether that has been a question that you've had. Well, of course it was a question. That, really? Yeah. This is like really going to happen. It's going to be this very transformative experience that's going to, you know, change my life forever. Like, I think any the decision that I make. When it comes to making a, a human, that I don't. You have no, no I thoughts have about no, that. Yeah. No, yeah. no reservations. I have no doubts. So... In terms of this asymmetry, there's been the need to care for each other in a new and specific way before the baby arrives. Talk to us about that. I think that I feel I feel very cared for during this pregnancy, and I think that uh, I would I really I really think that a lot actually, especially in these um, these th- I'm into the third trimester at this point. If it was just me in the house or was just me pregnant like I'm sure I would take care of it (laughs) um I would do what need to be done but like I feel like it's been such an easeful experience because I've had somebody else to um to support you know the evolution of our relationship from just being you know work friends into into collaborative partners and to co-owners of a business and then now going to be parents to a child this step has been a interesting and taking care of each other in um both a physical way as as Amrita just described you know her her body is changing her needs are are changing um and I can't carry a kid but I can try to make it more comfortable and we are not in a romantic relationship where and not in a traditional relationship where those lines can can maybe like blur in that we really do value our our independence so you know i don't go to all the doctor's appointments i only go to the ones i'm invited to not because i don't want to go not because i want to go to all of them not because i don't (laughs) want to go to all of them but it's really more of a practice of 
while it's our child, we are having, it's her body, it's her doctor's appointments. And she might just want to go to it by herself and negotiate what she wants to negotiate with the doctor by herself and tell me what she wants me to know. And we have a level of trust where I trust she's going to tell me one, when she wants me to go, which she does. And two, she's going to trust me what she thinks I need to know about her child. Whatever the conversation else has happened to the doctor is none of my business, frankly. So, and so it's just been for me an, an interesting new level of our relationship and maintaining our autonomy as people and maintaining our ability to trust that the other person is going to say what they need or what they want, but to also look for those opportunities to care for her in a way that isn't patronizing. And crucially, it's also not intrusive, right? Right. Because both of you are incredibly um, independent people who value your privacy and autonomy. And so this takes so much communication because each of you need to um, convey to the other one, here's where the boundary is, right? Like I actually, I'm doing this with you and you're involved in these medical appointments and there are also moments where I'd like to do this without you or I'd like to take a moment. But I think just to add to that, I think the, because we're not in a romantic relationship, there's actually no expectation that we are responsible for each other's emotional wellness. And that sounds bad, but, but because there is no obligation, like there's no like sort of expectation or obligation that we are required to maintain each other's like emotional wellness. Um, I think that allows us to be very, uh, free about asking for when we need, we want something or need something. Um, because it's not like assumed that you're gonna, (laughs) you're gonna provide it, um, which is really helpful. (laughs) And also it allows you to be appreciative of what you do receive, right? Because there's no expectation that like Andrew is your village and he's going to provide every single resource. And like, if he doesn't provide a resource, then he has like failed or that the relationship is like, and instead it's like, what a value add that we have Andrew showing up with a healthy meal and we have whatever, you know, like real interesting spot to be. Cause it's like, if you imagine you, the listener, imagine you're going out to dinner and drinks with your best friend and you tell your best friend over dinner or drinks on a Friday night after a work week, like, Let's say you have a partner and you're like, my partner is really annoying me because of this and work is really stressing me out because of that. And I just really feel like I don't know what to do about this and that, you know, not that people in romantic relationships don't have that, but all I'm saying is our relationship originated from the plate, that place and was, and there was never a romantic component even on the table. That is so lovely in and of, of itself. And I'm having a digressive thought, which is that also like in many romantic relationships, there's an element of performativity, either performing being well or being happy or being excited about your partner at times when you might be slightly ambivalent um, or potentially right performing caregiving at a time when you're tired and you don't want to perform that, right? I think you have immense freedom being in a friendship and not having this expectation of codependency where it isn't like, oh, he's stressed for no reason. Is it because of me? Have I failed in some way? Is he dissatisfied with our relationship? It's like, that's not even on the table. That's not on the table. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I never even thought about it in that that way. Mm -hmm. What's been the emotional progression for you um, 
through the pregnancy part? For me, I had a lot of catching up to do on just the concept of envisioning myself as a parent. I think society spends so long trying to socialize girls, especially, or like people who are assigned female at birth, that, you know, we're going to play with baby dolls and it's going to be fun to just take care of someone else. Right. All of our stuff around nurturing and mothering nurturing and mothering expectations I've had a lot of dissonance about not feeling like I feel like I'm supposed to feel about being pregnant I didn't feel instantaneously connected to this fetus like should quote-unquote feel is like suddenly you become this earth goddess that's like so in tune with your body and like really just feeling like connected and mind melding with your your fetus and I don't know I'm like oh there's this like alien creature and you know using my bloodstream (laughs) part of my resistance to to like this idea of being a mom the maternity the maternal aspect that you know I often use the word parenthood instead of motherhood because I feel like motherhood is such a loaded term kind of grappling with that idea that maybe I'm not like meeting the expectations of like performing femininity in, in that way with the pregnancy when you say it's emotion sorry to interrupt but when you say it's an emotional term motherhood are you saying that and then you say because you aren't living up to expectations are you saying not using the word because because of what it means to you or what you think it means to other people what i think it means to other people yeah um and in fact my therapist has been very like but like you need to decide what it means to you um and that will be a useful exercise for you. Have I done that? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just want to acknowledge, like, in many ways, this is a huge transition for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it, like pregnancy is a huge transition for anyone, but especially for somebody who wasn't planning on this and is like, as you put it, catching up to the concept that you're about to embark on this life-changing, you know, mind-bending trip. <laughs> but on the other hand... Like also sacrificing some things that you didn't plan to sacrifice mm-hmm. moving into this space where now you are going to be encountering these, like, as you describe them, like ideals around what that means and what your emotional experience is expected to be and how you might have a substandard emotional experience <laughs> in addition to having, you know, your body medicalized and, and evaluated, you're having your emotional experience like <laughs> subjected to these standards. Yeah. You know, that's so intense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it has been a little bit intense. So for me, when I read first got pregnant both times, and I understand this can sound insensitive, but it is my what my experience was, and it's and I understand that emotions uh, don't have to make sense. And I was not particularly excited either time because I don't see early pregnancy as a child. I don't see it as a being just. I agree with that though too. I agree with that too. It's just a collection of cells. And I understand that other people see that differently. And so it's been, it's, it's really, for me, it's just, it's like a a slow building progression and and getting more, more and more excited. And to see the physical change in Umbrid is another way that, that, that 
you know, gets me excited to see the, the actual physical growth. Mm-hmm. It's still like a thing inside being supported by another. It's like not going to be a baby until it's a, a baby. You know, <laughs> this is very Jewish of you. This is the it's, traditional well, it's, Jewish It's, it's Hindu too, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we don't do, that's why we don't do like baby showers before the baby. Because it's like the baby has to be here for to be a baby mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you've been jewish and hindu all along yeah. <laughs> I, I i i have really happy feelings about thinking about it in the future mm-hmm. but i but it as it is now doesn't excite me in a particular way and my heart doesn't skip a beat when well it i think i think you know we t- we've talked so much about the pregnancy tonight but that was actually um, now that you're saying it, re- reminds me very much how I felt at the beginning when I was telling people, is that people would be very excited naturally because that's you know, um, and people want to express that they're really excited. But I would be kind of like, well, I'm not really that you know. Look, yes, I'm I'm theoretically excited, but I'm not actually like. I felt when I was telling people initially about this that I wasn't like adequately performing joy because I felt kind of like, well, all right, it's a thing that's, that's we'll happening. See we'll see out. how it shakes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're in the early interviewing like very, process. Like <laughs> yeah, this project is coming to fruition in like 10 months. So it's going to evolve quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten how, how much I felt that like at the beginning. But. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your experience with the medical establishment. Yeah, so so we are self self-employed. We have our own business. Um and I have made the choice uh I say I speak for myself, but I think we both have that uh carrying medical insurance is a total scam. <laughs> and I had I had disaster insurance for like a year. And I was like, oh, so actually I have to pay $8,000 in just my monthly premium. And then I have to pay an additional $9,000 before my insurance even covers anything. So all I'm doing is I'm making the gamble that I'm either going to not have a medical incident that exceeds $17,000. And I was like, you know, I feel comfortable taking that gamble. But then when when I became pregnant, uh, obviously that becomes more of a necessity. But uh, because the, uh, because of the the way that Medicaid thresholds work, um, you can qualify for Medicaid with a much higher income threshold if you're pregnant. In some ways, this has been like a magical thing where like everything is just comped like everywhere. Side note, most hospitals are required to give away medical care for free. And if you are receiving, if you, a listener, are receiving a large medical bill, negotiate with the hospital, make a case that you need a waiver of fees because... They can do that, and they're actually required to at most hospitals, especially in New York City. I'll add to that sidebar, being that private insurance companies negotiate bulk settlements, for lack of a better word, with hospitals and medical providers, meaning, to Amrita's point, and to our experience, my experience, we don't have insurance, and we've just gone a la carte uh, to doctor's offices. First of all, people... Face-to-face people, nurses and doctors are... Um, and by the way, this is this is about non-prenatal care. Non-prenatal like care. Like medical care. They're very understanding very, very of people understanding. without insurance. Oh, yeah. They, in my experience, they always work with you. They always try to minimize completely visits. minimize visits. Minimize testing. And, I mean, say things like, well, usually I'd have you come in two or three times, but let's do one. 
all this to say our medical system is profoundly broken <laughs> and um, on one hand be- becoming pregnant qualifying for medicaid uh there is a little bit of like oh wow everything's just free but at the same time it's like very barbaric because you know they um they kick you off of the insurance like weeks after the birth and it's like you get like a six extra weeks if you have like a really traumatic birth experience and have to like have major surgery or something like that but other than that it's like the minute you're done and in, in, on an anti-capitalist screed moment and i was like it's like they want you to be insured for the period of time where you're where you're carrying a future worker to get ground up in the gears of <laughs> of the system and then as soon as you've served your purpose is that they're like fuck you <laughs> you know so as soon as uh, May, you know, end of May rolls around. I'm unsured again. Like that's the, the, that's the my knowledge of the state. The, the baby is not. The baby is not. The baby gets um, a year of Medicaid um, because I'm on Medicaid. Um, after that, I think we have to kind of figure out <laughs> what what happens. We'll have from insurance. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With regard to your experience at different medical facilities, um, what was it like for you? So. Uh, I will be, you know, I'm going to be obviously very candid about this and it's my experience, but I feel that, I, but I'm going to make some generalizations. The quality of care in New York City for sure varies based on zip code. So uh, we were going to a fertility clinic that was on the, basically on the Upper East Side, uh, Midtown East, and you observe a certain type of patient in the in the waiting room and that that is who they cater to is kind of the the law firm client the people who are coming in in suits um i decided to uh deliver um at uh brooklyn nyu um and i go to a a family health clinic for my uh, prenatal care and that is a clinic that serves very much a local Sunset Park community. Um, the receptionists speak four different languages. <laughs> they speak Arabic, Chinese, English, and Spanish. Uh, but it is a very different, um, you know, very much a poorer uh, constituency. And you definitely see the quality of care. Like the care, the quality of care is good, but the, uh, you know, there's not the white glove touch. Wildly overbooked all the time. Um, it's a little bit chaotic and. The, the other thing I'll say about this um, is that people like on, on paper see that I'm a Medicaid patient and um, expect a certain demographic and expect maybe a certain education level and there's some sort of preconceived notions about who they might be seeing as their patient. And so there's some emotion there. What are the emotions there? Um, I just feel... Uh, I just, I kind of feel like righteously, <laughs> righteously angry on other people's behalf uh, more than, more than on my own because I do actually have the time. So when you say care, yeah, you mean once you get into the room once and you're the room. with a doctor, Correct. that care is good. Correct. But your experience, our experience has been everything before that is a fucking nightmare. shit show. It's a total shit nightmare. show. Yeah. Total shit show. Yeah, and, so the um, ten minutes that you could speak with a doctor are great. Is good and helpful. Mm-hmm. But navigating every other part of the administrative process before that is a nightmare, and it feels like it's by design. <laughs> I, mean, I think we can share this mm-hmm. that um, Amrita has gestational diabetes. Any question around that should go to the nurses line or to this specific doctor through a messaging app that they have, 
uh, that you can message, although the messaging app says specifically that it's not for emergencies. Well, and it's not for not not just for emergencies. It's not for anything that requires a response in the same day. It says it would take up to three days. So if you if you want an answer today, you should call this number. You should call this number. When Which where call, does the number go? It goes nowhere. So the number goes to nothing. The number used to go to a voicemail line where I left five consecutive voicemails on five consecutive days, never received a call back from anyone. And then most recently, when I tried to call it, it led to a automated message that said that this this um this line is like not being monitored or something like that and the reason she's calling is because with gestational diabetes you need to understand the numbers she was getting on the monitoring you're given a monitor and then and then you know later and my dosage is supposed to respond to that and the dosage is supposed to respond and had no idea what even the benchmarks were back to her about (laughs) if the numbers were good or not or if she needed to to add insulin or not so much so that when you actually talk to a doctor Mm -hmm. the response was like why did this take so long yes which is a wild (laughs) contrast from the other end of the nyu experience that you know is the fertility clinic where literally everything is so available and there is someone on call to answer questions and it's wild it's hard to know whether that's just capitalism, that like mm-hmm. the fertility clinic, which makes so much bank, I would no say doubt, is absolutely the place it is. Where <laughs> these are the bougie side, or if that's the political leanings of Kenneth Langone, the huge Trump donor mm-hmm. for whom NYU Langone <laughs> well, is named. Well, I, I, that, I, that I can't speak to, but I would say absolutely the fertility business is a big business. It is a very well run business because they want your money. And they are going to provide you a high level of service for it. So I returned to when you said that the hospital provides good care. Yeah. No. I guess I'm. What I mean. Yeah. I'm. I, it, what it I'm does. trying to do. What I'm. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say is, in fairness to the actual doctors who are doing their job and who are, um, I sometimes find equally frustrated as I am with navigating their own system that they have to operate in. And I think this just raises an issue that I think a lot of people have with the medical establishment, which is that they're focused on your physical care only and not your emotional experience of getting that physical care. Which, uh, as we know, an emotional experience of a mother is critical to, mm-hmm. to the health and wellness child. of the pregnancy. Yeah. But also everyone's emotional uh, experience. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Also critical to yes. their health and wellness, <laughs> which is underappreciated in our culture generally. Right. Like yes. there are all these avenues by which those things communicate by the microbiome, by the vagal nerve, like all these things. We are not like a separate brain that just like floats above our body. So speaking of people who look in your eyes and talk to you, <laughs> let's talk about your doula. Sure. Were you about to say something? Well, I was going to lay the groundwork being that a doula is a person who is privately hired, independent of a medical establishment, hospital, or doctor's office that aids in birth, um, but is not a a, uh, necessarily a medical professional, but that have a lot of experience in the birth and delivery of children and are the primarily the the mother's advocate so so part of my um decision to that I was, I was very convicted about hiring a doula was because uh because of the the hospital experience um and not always having a consistent consistency of care like i'm not always seeing the same doctor from visit to visit i know that even if i was seeing the same doctor from visit to visit though that person may not be um, in the room, you know, they might not be on call that day. It's like, whoever's going to be there is going to be there. It, 
So it was important to me that there was someone there who knows me. So there's some consistency of care of someone that I know that I've spoken to about what, what our wishes are. A lot of medical professionals are really wonderful and are really actively trying to do right by their patients. But there are also pressures on medical professionals to perform, especially birth, in a very medicalized way. And it's really helpful to have a doula there who understands like the alternatives besides what's being proposed by the medical professionals or who has experience to make you know, informed decisions with you about this so you don't have to feel pressured by medical professionals to do things that aren't necessarily right for you and your family. So for, for us, um, or for me, really, Andrew was like, very like, this is your choice, you choose whoever you want to who be there. Um, but you really kind of just let me drive the bus on choosing. Um, and I was sort of in between the idea of do I want someone who's like, sort of just the facts kind of, you know, all business, super analytical, or do I want someone who's going to be a little bit, give us a little bit more of kind of the um, holistic, hippy-dippy uh, quality? Of course, perhaps needless to say, but a, a big part of my vetting process was feeling like I had someone who was not just tolerant, but really um, enthusiastic about supporting a non-traditional family. Um, so I had I was very explicit about kind of asking about people's experience with supporting like, you know, LGBT families or just non-traditional setups. Um, and, you know, of course, people are going to say, oh, yeah, no, of course, like, open to anything. But, but you kind of get a sense of like, who is like, is just kind of okay with it and who is like, really kind of going to be a champion of that. Uh, and the, the doula journey, I'll just say from my perspective, I let I'd say I let, I hope, I, I, I hope Amrita felt supported enough in the, in the doula journey, but I really didn't, didn't vet any of the candidates, w- was not present at any of the interviews. The first time I met anyone was when we had our in-person meeting last week with a person who was already chosen, a contract was already signed. It's a done deal. Paid. And, uh, and our meeting with the doula was so in contrast, so different than the experience <laughs> that we had with the fertility clinic or any or the hospital um in that no she i mean and maybe it's because she was prepped already and because of, it was a person you chose but like it was all about what what uh Myrna wanted to happen and not about our relationship in so far as it was hard for her to understand. It was not hard for her to understand. She asks us about our relationship to understand our personalities, how we communicate with each other, what we, what we'd like, how she could support each of us as individuals, but nothing about like, well, how does this, how, does this how is work? this yeah. going to work? Mm-hmm. People want to know how things work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How things she work. had no questions about that at all. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. <laughs> that is really nice. In our next episode, we talk about the business of baby making. What are the implications of being self-employed parents? What kinds of legal agreements and contracts do we need as a non-traditional family? A lot, as it turns out. Marina Weiss is a poet and clinical psychologist, and you can find her at marinaweiss.com. We are at vjandstevens.com or at vjandstevens on Instagram 
That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H. 